Hello and welcome to The Unreleased, the design research podcast. This podcast exists to help map, broadcast and promote design research worldwide. The Unreleased podcast is brought to you by IAD, Universidade Europeia and UNITCOM. The interview was recorded at IAD as part of the PhD in Design program. To know more, visit unrelease.unitcom-yad.pt. That's unrelease.unitcom-yad.pt. In this episode, Professor Sarigans talks with Jamie Brassett, a reader in philosophy, design, and innovation. Jamie also lectures and writes in the areas of philosophy, innovation management, and design. He has worked with brands such as Lego, P&G, and Nike Lab. During this interview, Jamie shares his thoughts on philosophy as a creative practice, design as a matter of concern, and how he's constantly inspired by his children. They do things and ask questions of me, um, and they have a vision for what they want to be that far, far outstrips my way of thinking about the world. Here are Sarah and Jamie. Hi, Jamie. Thank you so much for joining us today at IAD, Universidade Europeia. Uh, Unidcom and IAD would like to welcome you uh, here at this session for the podcast. Um, So, in your work, Uh, philosophy and design are portrayed as not-so-distant concepts, as they're in essence creative activities. Both dwell on the infinite possibilities of what it could be, uh, concerned with expression, the creation of the not-yet in impactful ways. Nonetheless, while design rationalizes a solution, philosophy is concerned with finding the problem and consequently of positing it. Um, Something design is now slowly shifting into, Um, from problem-solving to problem-finding. Could you please elaborate a little bit about these concepts that I just mentioned Mm. uh, in the impacts traditional design thinking Mm. could have? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, good questions. Um, I've never been convinced that design was problem-solving. I think it's problem-finding, especially in design thinking areas, right, Mm. I think? Yeah, Uh, because I think, and and the reason why it's moving is probably um, because um, the idea of problem-solving is is quite a closed, it it puts you in quite a closed discursive area. So um, I would often say, especially to my students, Um, but also in conversations with colleagues that um, as soon as you have someone present a problem, uh, the solution uh, and the possibilities for a solution are already already captured in in the articulation of the problem. So you're already in somebody else's else's milieu. Um, Oftentimes, um, designers and consultancies um, will work hard to almost to uh, deconstruct the problem and see if there's anything else really that's un- underneath to go off in different directions or into more break creative. Break the problem apart really to understand yeah. if that's the real problem. That's the real right? thing, yeah. Um, 
to and when I when I I I wrote the introduction for the Deleuze and Design book with my colleague and friend Betty Betty Marenko, mm-hmm. um, we very much uh, were, were were looking at this mm-hmm. sort of question, this, the things we've been, just been talking about, um, and we were we were less thinking there that about going towards problem finding rather than problem solving. We were thinking of what would it be to make problems yeah. um, how might how might designing um, as a as a set of practices and discourses and processes how how might how might it um, or how might they um, make problems in the world um, in more recent times in my own work I've started to to uh, to investigate something called a concern. Um, now, you might be familiar with um, the work of Bruno Latour, a philosopher of science and sociologist of science, um, and his work on actor network theory and, and related things, science and technology studies. Um, in, a keynote, in a keynote speech he gave at a Design History Society conference, I think it was 2008, um, I was there speaking in, a, in another panel, um, but in, the, in in that keynote, he said that uh, design uh, was becoming less about matters of fact and more about matters of concern. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. Um, he didn't say where that was coming from in in that keynote, where where the where that uh, where that idea of concern came from. At least I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, but in some of my own work in philosophy, I was looking at uh, at um, a, a book by the by the um, philosopher, uh, physicist, and mathematician Alfred North Whitehead. Um, it's about about a hundred years ago, um, and uh, he was talking about concern, um, and he said he was using concern. He said that philosophy was about matters of concern rather than matters of fact. Almost a similar, exactly mm-hmm. the same sort of thing that Latour was saying. And Latour is interested in the work of Whitehead too. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Whitehead wrote that he was, uh, he was talking about concerns, he said he, he was using it in the Quaker sense. Um, a Quaker is sort of a, a, a non-conformist Christian um, group in, in England. Um, and uh, I thought that was interesting and the the Quaker sense of concern is this they say that it's um, a concern is a divinely inspired call to action Um, now I thought this was interesting and I thought this was interesting how Latour would then take that Um, so that I think of design um, and uh, design intensive innovation that I also work in um, as dealing with a, call, a concern as a call to action. Yes. So not so much about um, necessarily about problem solving um, or even problem finding, but um, what is there in the world yeah, that calls you... Yeah, concerns affect everybody, that affects Absolutely. people's lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it becomes about what calls you to action as a designer to to have an impact in that mm-hmm. area of concern 
Um, and it seems to me to be much more forward-looking. Um, Whitehead talks about it in a much more speculative sense. I mean, if you look sense. at social design, for example, mm -hmm. so it's a clear yes. example of that. Yes, yes, yes. So if you're thinking about social design mm -hmm. and you're not necessarily thinking about a problem, mm -hmm. because, say, if someone says um, the, there is a problem with... Um, with teenage pregnancies. Mm -hmm. um, well, that already puts you into that problem space. Um, whereas if you can think about a concern that calls you to action in that space, then mm -hmm. it opens up, it opens it up and you can be much more The possibilities are limitedness, yeah. Yeah, much more creatively speculative. Yeah, that's um, true. So I, I think... I think, um, I, I think my own my own work, my own interests um, are much more in this this realm of uh, of concerns yeah. yeah okay so as you mentioned in the the book you wrote with Betty Marenko uh, to lose in design two thousand and fifteen you addressed the thinking of uh, Victor Margolin, uh, which says that designers need early warning systems to alert them to social trends that might have a bearing on what they design. And they require the intellectual tools to reflect on the meaning of these trends and their ethical implications. So, mm -hmm. according to this, do you believe that creative processes should be more philosophical and critical in relation to possible impacts of new products and services, or do you think they tend to respond well to these topics? Um, well, I suppose the, the 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 easy answer is yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it should be, yeah. um, but I think. Um, I think there's. Um, um, you mentioned it in the first question as mm -hmm. well. So one of one of the my ways of thinking about philosophy is that it is a creative process, yeah. and it's a practice, a creative practice. Um, and in that, you know, that's quite that, that's quite close to the the sorts of things that Gilles Deleuze and Felix Guattari were writing about in philosophy. Um, I'm not sure I completely just take on board what they were saying um, that philosophy is about creating concepts or creating concepts only um, however um, the idea of uh, philosophy being creative um, is, is one that has always appealed to me um, and as a pragmatic creative process even when it's its most conceptual and speculative um, so I, I, I don't necessarily consider designing and um, philosophy as being fundamentally or existentially, uh, I beg your pardon, or essentially um, uh, um, opposing or different to mm -hmm. each other. Um, the materials used may be different. The um, concepts, ideas, or whatever else we might might encounter um, may differ. The social concerns are common, right? So but yes, I think the, the conductive uh, phenomenon is, mm -hmm. is similar. With yeah, the, yeah. The so thinking, yeah. absolutely. And the so questioning and the critical yeah, thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I think once we once we start to think of um, um, sort of creativity as a um, as uh, and as an important drive, ontological drive, um, then 
how that manifests through designing, how it manifests through um, philosophy or science or art or writing or dancing or I don't know, whatever else it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they become expressed in those, using those different materials and codings. Um, but I think that, you know, the sort of creative drives can, um, can be common and shared. Um, so with that, you know, with that in the background, um, to come back to thinking about um, uh, uh, social, social issues or ethical issues, um, and the and the passage the impact, that we used yeah, for, from Margolin. Mm. Um, so when he says something like an early warning system, um, that would I, I think um, that would align for Betty and I with that that sort of speculative ontological investigation of the concerns that we were talking about a little earlier so we we would think um, so these are the concerns uh, these are the directions that they might be going in so the trends that you were mentioning too Mm -hmm. Um, these are some of the historical political economic and other drives that Mm -hmm. impact upon these areas Um, and then we start to consider well what if yeah, now, we take into account that knowledge and then we can maybe have a relationship with the development of new products and services with mm-hmm. that in mm-hmm. concern, maybe to be more sustainable in the future. Right? Yeah, maybe. I mean, if that if, that, if that's the, yeah. that track. Yeah, know, so of what if we had to be more sustainable? What if we had, uh, we, we had no longer the ability to use... Um, Plastics mm-hmm. or oil. What if these other things? What if there was a um, a massive uh, um, an, a meteor impact yeah. which wiped out the crops for a few years? You know, what would we do? How might we feed or mm-hmm. or do whatever? You know, and those those sorts of those sorts of modal what if speculative questions um, that you see also in things like scenario planning. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think it can be really useful in design, um, especially when it's a sort of a forward thinking, um, uh, dealing with creative, dealing with concerns. And I think that those sort of moments is when um, when philosophy and design can um, can live or work together, um, albeit in slightly different ways, but but sort of uh, can join with each other on. Um, on, Helping on in, the, in the critical sense of coming together for a, a purpose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Critical is an interesting word. Yeah. Um, comes from the Greek "krinine," which is to judge. Um, but it also um, so you get that sort of idea of critical as judgment, um, but also the idea of critique as a sort of an Way unpacking and getting anything, underneath yeah. the mm-hmm. skin of. But in English, we also have a, the the phrase of uh, being in a critical condition. So you can be in hospital in a critical condition, yeah. and you're, it's not quite sure yeah. which way you're going to go to living or dying. Um, and I think that's, that's really interesting. You know, when we uh, when we can when we can be in the um, in that space of uh, criticality, um, especially as it may also align with an issue of concern so that if we are being called to action and we are being called to action by by a certain critical um, a critical um, and creative perspective on something or other 
um, then there's there's many different there's many different opportunities available. Um, critical course. is a good word. I like. Mm -hmm. it. You also talk uh, about what it means to be a designer, placing it at the center of a, a triangle. To be a designer then means to occupy the extraordinary space between the world as it is, the world as it could be, and the world that was. It means always being ready to leap into the unknown, which is, of course, not without risk. Can you tell us a little bit more about this space, the between the past and present and future? Um, wow, I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I have to find some really great stuff. Um, well, I, I, in a way, it's, it's the space that we've been talking about, about concerns and about speculative and about criticality um, in those sort of philosophical senses. Um, there's another, um, there's another um, passage from the work of Whitehead, actually, that, whom I mentioned earlier, um, which is one of my favourite ones. I've been writing it and quoting it over and over again in a lot of, a lot of pieces of mine in the recent years. Um, but he, he says that Im Im immediate experience requires the... Um, the insertion of the future in the crannies of the present. Crannies is like cracks or fissures. Um, and I thought that, I just think that is absolutely marvellous. So there's, there's this idea that in this sort of concerning, active and also speculative, creative process, we grab hold of the future, or a future maybe, and put it into the present, into the cracks of the present. So we're like, we're projecting for the future? Or? No, no, we're grabbing the future and bringing it here. Oh, bringing the future we, to the present. Yeah, and we put it, and we, 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 we push this future into the cracks, into cracks that appear in the present. So it's like and that's what gives speculative us work? In, for Whitehead, yeah. that is speculative. Okay. Yeah, not in speculative in the sense that we might encounter in the work of Tony Dunn and Fiona Raby, mm -hmm. um, although I think there, there, there may be some, some overlaps there. Um, but in the work of Whitehead, there's this sense of, there's this sense of speculative as, as being open to the pressure on the present of the future. So sort of time runs that way. And that like gives thinking us... Thinking about consequences, really, or understanding the future impacts of your actions now? Or? Well, um, the, the, the sort of, the, the, the sense of time is the other way around. Mm. So it's a bit like uh, imagining that the future had a causal impact on the present. So, yeah, so it's reverse, going this way, reverse, it's, yeah. it's, going, it's going this way. Yeah. Um, and what I think designers can do is they can grab that future and mould use it to mould, to, 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 to create, to, to materialise our present experience. Like what we said before, would the, uh, imagine that we can't use plastic because it's, it's not available anymore, it's not... So how yeah. could we yeah. handle that yeah. so in the there present? Is there is no... What, what, what are the alternatives, Absolutely. basically? Yeah, so there is that future. Um, how do we use that to create our current present? And therefore, to to design our experiences, um, and I think I think that's quite powerful. It's quite a different way of thinking. Yes. Um, 
and I, I, so I think that's where the that's where um, we can get that sort of speculative um, um, concerning space um, as a, as as pragmatic act. One of the other impacts that has is is it it forces you forces you it allows you mm -hmm. to have a very different attitude to the future what the future is um, and there's um, there's a, a fairly new strand of future studies called anticipation studies and what anticipation studies does is to um, is to use an attitude to the future to create the present in the way that I've just said mm -hmm. um, so I can see that aligning very much with the sort of the, philo the philosophical positions I've been talking about but also maybe the ways in which we can think about designing or about innovating um, or managing innovation which is another one of my another one of my jobs um, so at the moment I'm working on a, um, a book with some colleagues on anticipation and design um, which should be out next year is it the ontology of social innovation? No. Um, that's a, that's a, a, a different project. Okay. Um, but there is an there's an anticipation. There's a whole area of future studies that I'm I'm uh, interested in. Mm -hmm. um, so there's this anticipation book that will be coming out. Mm -hmm. um, I think that will impact upon our understanding of strategy. Um, it will also impact upon, um, therefore, impact upon how we understand design as a strategic mm -hmm. act. Um, but um, I think, I, I think this, 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 um, this practice of anticipation has a, will have a, a the, massive the impact. The book, yeah. um, The area of studies is anticipation okay, studies. The book has a working title oh. Called anticipation, creativity, and design. Mm -hmm. Although many uh, many of the chapters aren't looking at design, so that I, we, that might change. Okay. The title might change, mm -hmm. but, um, okay. but that's that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With risk, failure is a possibility. Unfortunately, risk is not as often addressed as it should. Generally speaking, uh, industries demand newer solutions at a faster pace, but there's still a lot of stigma around failure which seems to only play against it. Uh, is there anything we can learn and perhaps borrow from philosophy with regards to dealing with failure? Mm. Oh, what a good question. Um, I think, as your, question, as your question highlights, if we think about risk as, as, um, as uh, the discourses of risk as articulating our present attitude to the future um, then oftentimes we are trying to um, we are trying to manage that risk out to stop those things happening so that we can stay doing whatever it is that we're doing so risk um, and then the failures that may come with our understanding of risks are, 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 are a huge uh, problem and they're seen as that by, by many by many companies or organisations. So they invest um, a lot of money in the projects. So yeah, 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 yeah. So they don't want to lose money. Absolutely, that, that makes sense. So the risks and the uncertainties yeah. that are, are also bound up with those um, become a real problem. Yeah. Um, 
there is a whole set um, of discourses, especially that comes from sort of entrepreneur studies, about um, about the positive uh, impacts of failure within um, either business processes, entrepreneurial activities, but also in creative processes like design and designing. Um, so there's there's this sense, and you you. I'm sure you'd be familiar with it in something like design thinking that we should fail fast and learn quickly and and iterate Overcome. quickly and then you know and failure becomes an important aspect Part of, the process, of, yeah. of the process, which is fine um, and that's great. Um, but when I talk about this, say with my students, um, I say you know do I want my neurosurgeon when he's operating on on <laughs> my true. spine? To have a little experiment, you know, failure is fine, you know. No, I want you to do Perfectly. what you know is good and not have a little experiment. But there's also experimental surgeries where you, like, take yes. a little of faith, work, yes, saving absolutely. lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you, you, you sign up to those. Yeah, you know, do, I, do I want um, my children's uh, teachers just to have a little experiment, you know, um, you know, do we really want to experiment with um, uh, with with sort of social care, you know, mental health care? You know, do we want to experiment just to see? And then, if it fails, oh, that doesn't matter. At least we've learned something. You know, the, the you know the stakes are higher in certain cases than others. So how do we how do we understand what those are? Um, what you know, where are where are the risks? Yeah. Um, allowable and where are they not? Yeah, the risk analysis that um, you have to do. Yeah. Um, where, where is uncertainty um, a positive driver for creative production? Um, and where does it, it, it just simply make you statue-like and stop with your eyes wide and think, I can't do anything? Um, which you know, which we often would have with businesses. Yeah. So how you, how you know, for example, if you're a business, how do you not necessarily deal with risk um, or manage risk out, but how might you allow for creative experimentation within your organisation that provides much more opportunities for radical innovation, say, rather than the sort of the sustaining innovation of iterating a little bit of what you do well. Um, so there's some management um, management and organisational studies work, uh, which uh, in the 90s, I think, was talking about ambidextrous organisations, so an organisation that can be both radical and uh, creative, but also maybe a little bit more conservative and doing what it does best. You can have a department for that specific yeah. project that you want to risk yeah. the, some, of, some yeah. amount of money in, or it yeah. be interesting to have that with the current activity that generates money yeah. Yeah, for them. But that's quite, that, that makes quite a complex organisation. You know, how, do, how does... Because it was always thought that if you were an organisation, you would be either experimental and mm -hmm. radical... And, and striving for radical innovation, or you would be much more conservative, conservative and sustaining yeah. and iterating what you know and what has been successful. Um, if you're trying to do both, how do you do both? How do, how do, you, how do you design an organisation that 
allows for both of those to happen in an ambidextrous way. Um, now, there are probably actually more than two different ways of having an organisation and being innovative mm -hmm. uh, or being creative or doing design or whatever it might be. Um, so ambidexterity, just being two things at once, um, may, uh, may not be able to um, manage all of the different op opportunities or possibilities that there might be. So um, more contemporary organisational attitude would be how do we how do we layer um, how do we um, how do we design an organisation which can do many different things at once yeah. if we want to um, and therefore where you know where are the risks where are the interfaces between these different areas how do we fund them um, do they have different markets um, and so on. In the introduction to the book, the, the Laws and Design, you mentioned that design's current concern for co-creation, openness, non-linearity and experimentation suggests that there are already points of connection to the laws of thought. Uh, states of thinking and our multiplicities, just as important are bridges or crossroads that connect them. Uh, the conceptual thinking deeply rooted in philosophy. So in your experience, what emerging disciplines are likely to derive from this very recent look, uh, newly designed states? Co-creation, openness, non-linearity and experimentation, maybe? Yeah. Wow, that's really good. <laughs> um, that's, that's good. I think, oh wow, what could, um, what could, design, what could designing be? Um, well, you know, there, there are many there are many interesting things happening in um, in biological design um, and synthetic biology and um, opportunities that that might impact on design. So one of my colleagues at Central St Martins, Professor Carol Colley, is um, is um, has been really driving and in, in some ways leading um, um, the practices and dis discourses of biodesign and the possibilities that it might have and she does some really interesting work on um, you know, using bacteria to produce different types of materials um, and I think there's some really interesting things that will uh, that will happen at those uh, when you when we sort of cross those boundaries between um, between the grown and the made um, the impacts that that might have on um, on us um, as these sort of multiplicitous biological entities, um, I think, is going to be interesting too. Um, and that's sort of an area that I've been uh, I've been interested in since I did my PhD at the end of the eighties and the beginning of the nineties. Um, so you know, I, I wonder when we recognize that we are more than human um, the the bacteria for example and other life forms that live in our bodies um, constitute more genetic diversity than our human DNA um, and we we are we are many things in these bodies that are more than human. Mm -hmm. Um, and when, when I think when we 
when when these sort of um, when when these directions, new directions are taken between, for example, um, the biological or the synthetic biological and designing, um, these will have a huge impact on how we see ourselves. Um, so I think you know the the opportunities that there are for philosophical um, philosophical um, articulation within within these areas uh, then becomes really uh, they, they become those opportunities become really important. Um, I think as well, you know these these are not only sort of existential or ontological um, questions, but there will be ethical, political, and other. Yeah. Um, and other questions too. So, you know, what what does it what would it mean if we do recognise that we are not only a single human individual but many? Life um, does that what what impact would that have on our relationship either to other people, but other the things yeah. in the world? Mm. That's true. Your exploration on the thresholds of both design and philosophy are often seen through uh, Deleuze's eyes. So how can his thinking be experimented upon and redesigned to produce new concepts? Tell us a little bit about this relationship. How did Deleuze, uh, Deleuze's thoughts influence your views on design thinking? Um, uh, massively. Um, I've been reading Deleuze since the... Uh, since I did my masters in the eighties, um, and although you know there are other people, there are other people like dear podcast land. There are other people I read to and who are interesting. Um, but um, one thing that I find really that just blows me away in Deleuze's work, and I've quoted it in some pieces, um, he says, "Never interpret." Um, experience or experiment. Um, the, the, the words, the English words, experience and experiment, are just one word in, in his original French. But this idea of not interpreting and experiencing and experimenting instead, to see what you can do with something, um, rather than trying to work out what it means. Kind of um, like what a child does when they're playing. Maybe. Yeah, it's quite playful. Yeah. Um, um, but also, you know, I'm not I'm not interested so much in sort of what uh, trying to work out what Deleuze means by something, mm-hmm. um, or any other philosopher or any other writer or whatever, um, as an end in itself. I'm I'm interested in um, what I can do with the things that are being. Um, produced that are being expressed or put put to play or put out into the world to um, uh, to, to use or something. I'm, I'm much more interested in doing that, um, and that's one of the ways in which I think um, designing or any other sort of more traditionally thought creative practice, fine art or writing or dancing, is, is you know is is useful. Um, is, is, is aligns with I should say rather um, aligns with uh, philosophy when I think of it in those ways I think so Deleuze um, Deleuze and Deleuze and Guattari's work um, opens that possibility out for me um, so it makes me 
and I think Betty and I might have said that in, said this in our book. You know, in a way, we're not. Uh, we haven't been too interested in trying to understand what they said, um, but um, to try and work, create, or play with some of the concepts that they've produced mm-hmm. in different areas um, then becomes um, uh, e- experimental and creative in itself. And um, we found that quite quite liberating, and I think I, I always have done. Mm-hmm. Um, but it needn't only be them. You know, it could be anyone. You know, what what can you, what can you play with? What can you create? What can you, what can you do with that work? Um, what might you do something new with it? Um, mm-hmm. Becomes, I think, much more invigorating. Yeah. I have one last question. Hmm. Who from those who are still with us is a source of inspiration for you, and why? Oh wow. Um, who inspires me? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's my children. Um, I have a I have a whole bunch of children. I've got four children, wow. and they are aged between nine and two, um, and they do things and ask questions of me, um, and they have a vision for what they want to be that far, far outstrips my way of thinking about the world. Um, And uh, it's it's constantly making me... It really changes our perspective, right? Really, yeah, really sort of changed the perspective that I have. Um, I was was talking with my wife the other day who runs a... She runs her own design and uh, innovation research company um, called Into... And we were talking and just thinking that, um, you know, we, 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 we've heard, we, you hear of some parents who want their children to, um, to Go um, specific develop, and, yeah. yeah, to develop along, uh, to, to deliver the parents' own uh, dreams, yeah. right? And I don't, th- my dreams are far narrower than what my, what my children bring. It's their dreams of what can happen, and it constantly blows me away. Um, so I, I think I, I, f- I find that attitude quite, quite inspiring. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Jamie, for sharing your thoughts on on, on this. We'd like thank to you. thank you for coming, and I hope to see you again soon. Thank you for your great questions. It was awesome. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to our podcast on the main platform. For more information about the Unreleased podcast, go to unreleased.unitcom-yad.pt. There you can find all the episodes and more information about our guests. Unreleased podcast is the result of the work of the students of Design Cultures and Practices course from the PhD in Design program of Yad Universidade Europeia. It's produced and edited by Unitcom. Mm-hmm.